Hi, I'm Matt. I'm Rachel. And welcome to The Tim's Take, episode 41. That was such a good I'm Rachel. Thank you. I really am trying to focus on making sure I don't pitter out at the end. Or through the whole thing. Or through the (laughs) whole thing. That was so good. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. We can all improve. Welcome to this episode, 41 episodes in. We still haven't figured out what to do in this transition from our intro to the next segment. So let's just kick it off. Oh, wow. Okay, we're going to go straight to mailbag. I didn't even have to edit that in. Very nice. We did get some mail. Whoa, whoa. Thank you. Thank you. Listeners know how much we love mail. This was from our friend Shelby. I'll just read this. It's not a super long email, but the subject line was, yay, more podcasts with three exclamation marks. Whoa. So she says, just listen to your latest podcast, and I'm so, that's with four O's for those counting at home, excited that you're doing another six months. I know I'm not a parent yet, but I am soaking in all the helpful tips, and I love the new segments you're going to be doing. Someday I'll get to listen to these all again. We encourage, we definitely encourage re-listening when I have my own kiddo, and I can't wait to laugh alongside all your moments when I get to compare them to my own. Thanks for sharing your lives with us that are far away. Makes you feel a little closer. That's a beautiful email so far. I was going to say, are you going to leave off the really critical part of the email? Yeah, it does take a bit of a turn here. Hope Matt's, quote, dad bod works with his (laughs) wedding suit, which would be a nice hope, except she then adds, ha ha. Loved his mom's instant remark, crying face, and I can snag a suit for him if it doesn't, so no biggie either way. Love you guys and can't wait to add modeling to your resume, Shelby. So for a little context, Shelby is my friend who we are going to do some photography stuff with in a couple weeks in Yosemite. And so this is the event that Matt needs to wear his wedding suit for again. After this email, I think we should call her an acquaintance for two reasons. (laughs) Reason number one, if she's just an acquaintance, then it makes us seem like far more professional models than that we were recruited as a friend. But number two, her doubt about my dad bod fitting in my wedding suit that's I mean, two we- two episodes in a row now I've had to talk about this. It's, I don't know, getting a little pointed. It, it's just a good precaution. You have been on your bike this last two weeks, so motivation to get ready for that modeling trip. That's right. I'm just... You've made it three out of the four times you meant to bike, so that's great. It's actually three out of the five. Three out of the five. Because I missed one, and then I meant to the next day, and then I skipped that one, too. So, But you got back on it like a horse. But you know what? 60% is a D, and in some schools that basically just want to sort of be a diploma mill, that would be good enough to pass and yep. graduate. So, so good I'm going to call it passing. job, you. Good job, me. We'll find out. Shelby is, as a precaution, getting a second suit jacket just in case. Oh, wow. Rachel had... This is breaking news. I, I actually didn't know this. <laughs> so... She is. We gave her your size. And so... Behind my back, Rachel has said... It doesn't look good. No, that's it not true at all. I just It's always good to have backups. So we'll see. It'll be fun. We're headed out to Yosemite. By the next time we record this, we'll have been there. launched our career in modeling. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks, Shelby, for writing in. Nonetheless, I can be a big boy and take take a hint. So, But we really appreciate you listening. We love all our listeners, but we especially love those who write us. Yes. Don't you think that's true? Yeah. I think we love them we extra more. We just feel connected that we know you're listening. Yeah. So feel free to write us in and join our list of most loved listeners. At timsteak at gmail.com. Wow. That was so professional. 
Shall we move on to our take? Yes. Today's take is all about body shaming dads. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, today I got to bring the resource or the essay or the, I don't know, what have you. What's it? Thingamajig that we're going to talk about. And Rachel last time seemed, I was very impressed because she seemed to pretty quickly have something and know and point us to something. For me, I was like, I did a little digging. It's like, I don't have anything obvious. But then I went to that trusty friend, Google, and I Googled parenting. <laughs> parenting? <laughs> well, actually, a full disclosure is I wondered if the Atlantic.com, which I always find often has like some interesting articles, if uh-huh. they had anything on parenting. I wasn't sure. But they do. They actually have a lot of essays and articles about it. So... I found this article, which felt appropriate. The title is Parents Are Sacrificing Their Social Lives on the Altar of Intensive Parenting. It's by Joshua Coleman. When was this written? This was written this year. Okay. I wasn't sure the context of that. Yeah. It was written or it was published anyway on April 18th, 2021. Okay. So a few months ago, but still within the context of pandemic life so again the title is parents are sacrificing their social lives on the altar of intensive parenting this felt particularly relevant because on friday rachel and i realized that we had our first meal indoors with another couple well with anyone beyond family since oliver was born yep which most of that i want to say is pandemic related Yes, for sure. But also, there are now habits that have come out of the pandemic. Yeah, it is our reality of the past year. That we we have carried on. So uh, let me offer a little summary, and then I'm really curious what you think. The article starts with this. It says, over the past few decades, American parents have been pressured into making a costly wager. If they sacrifice their hobbies, interests, and friendships to devote as much time and as many resources as possible to parenting, they might be able to launch their children into a stable adulthood. While this gamble sometimes pays off, parents who give themselves over to this intensive form of child rearing may find themselves at a loss when their children are grown and don't need them as much. He goes on to argue and channel some other people's arguments that, in part, this is because of economic changes in our society, that he says that his parents essentially didn't have to worry or invest much in him when he was a child because they knew that incomes were rising and basically they could get a decent job if they just made it through high school. And he he's kind of funneling some arguments that say because of a change, their parents now feel like they have to invest extra in their kids. But that's not the only argument. It talks about other shifts in expectations, including that parents expect their adult children to be their best friend, which was really interesting. And overall, kind of the sum result is that Parents tend to be even less engaged with friends. At one point, they said the average number of close relationships that adults had with friends, coworkers, and neighbors decreased by a third from 1985 to 2004. So anyway, that's a lot of setup. This article actually has like I feel like several different things. Yeah, I that agree. You can kind of talk about, but I'm really curious. Maybe we can just start by tossing it to you and your reaction because we really haven't talked about this at all. No, we are saving it for on air. Yeah, I found it a interesting article it felt a little hard to digest in that it's like damned if you do damned if you don't like I think there's a big shift in the past couple years as we've kind of entered this parenthood alongside some of our peers to kind of head toward that 
your kid should be your best friend model, which mm. at least when I was growing up, I think that felt rare until I like started watching Gilmore Girls. That was like a novel concept of like, oh, you can be best friends with your mom who had you at 16. You should, but, pin- you should pitch this to the Atlantic, the Gilmore Girls as cultural turning point. But it's a, it does feel like that's a bit of a new phenomenon. Yeah. So, so I think there's a shift toward that. And I think there's some that's good, you know, I think there was some detached parenting back farther, like he's saying, in the 1950s, 60s. And so it's interesting to, like, we've swung too far. I think this is often happens in society. Like, hindsight's always twenty twenty, And so you see what your parents did or your grandparents did, and then you try to swing the other way, and sometimes we swing too far. So I was trying to think, like, what my experience was as a kid, like, what I saw my parents model. Oh, that, yeah, that's really interesting. Obviously, that's how Oliver will experience this. And I feel like my parents were kind of on the tail end of identifying with the author saying that, like, yeah, I my parents were invested in me for sure, but I saw them have a lot of friendships and be involved in church really committedly and different, like, social organizations. And so I saw them really have a, a life outside of me, I, I didn't feel detached from my parents, but I do think in reflecting a lot of that seems to be economic based. Like, I don't know. I'm not inside my parents' head, so maybe this would be an interesting conversation to have with them sometime. But I feel like at, when I was growing up, like college, a college education was enough. Like grad school was like really not talked about. It was yeah. like would have been like an add on, but it wasn't common there wasn't like this pressure of like, I needed it to be super cultured and have like travel the world and all these things. And so I think economically they're like, well, we can save for a college education and help me, which they did, which was amazing. Like Mm -hmm. she'll get a good job and she'll be fine. So I do think there was some of that where now I think even with Oliver being so little, I feel this pressure of like, I need to get him in the best school and the best extracurriculars we need to travel europe so that when he goes to write his grad school phd essay like he (laughs) has like all these experiences because there's so much like more expected like even a bachelor's feels minimal these days and i think at least in our like white privileged middle income context yeah the author does note that there is class-based layer to the expectations although he also goes on to say that actually across classes a kind of more hands-on parenting even if it's not like we're taking the kids to europe per se which you and i aren't really at that level either (laughs) but you know it's still it's still this idea that like you need to be engaged more and we'll link to the article too there's some interesting stats there about the amount of time that parents are spending with their kids as well right. in there which is pretty fascinating but it just felt like my parents world was smaller like than ours is today sure. and so there's more pressure to yeah do all these other things for your kid with your kid in a very intense way that i don't i don't know if they really would have felt would have felt so you really resonate with the pressure being talked about in some ways. Is that true? I think as a shift from what I experienced as a kid, yeah. like I see the contrast for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, he's still so, Oliver's still so little. Yeah. So in some ways I don't feel that pressure, but I can see just even like the parenting world that we now live in being quite different than what I would have experienced as a kid. 
which I did. Like, my parents would, okay, see ya in the summer. And right. I'd go off for hours with friends and come back. And, like, that was just normal. Mm-hmm. So I think I they really fit into that category still. As opposed to sort of getting you, like, in all these camps or, like, things to develop right. skills. And, right, it's just, like, go out and Where see that dinner. would kind of be more, like, what I would gravitate toward, I think, now. Right. No. I don't know. What do you think? What do you feel like your parents or your experience as a kid was? Hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I guess church formed a huge part of our lives for a long time since my dad planted a church, for those who don't know, when I, like right around when I was born. And was only there for five years. But even when we moved to Sydney, the church was still a big part. That was like our social life sure. in many ways. Mm-hmm. And my parents always made space for opportunities. Like, I, like all, my brothers and I all played sports, but also like... It was never going to take over our lives in a sense of like, oh, this is your ticket to something right. more. So I don't know whether that's like a testimony to our our, our aptitude at said sports or <laughs> something else. But yeah, so I don't know that I felt, I certainly felt very little pressure from my parents to like engage with extracurriculars or like things like that. I do remember like as a high school student having many peers who wanted to get into very competitive schools and Mm -hmm. so like extracurriculars and clubs and things were very important to them and me at some point knowing that i was going to go like just honestly to a private christian school because that's where i wanted to get an education it's like honestly like the requirements are pretty low (laughs) to get in so i didn't need to worry about it all and it was really nice (laughs) yeah and i'm sure nice for your parents because it does it demands those things demand time and money of parents that then are sacrificed right like somewhere yeah Another interesting part yeah. that I thought was this, yeah, this, they say, in the same way the concept of soulmate evolved to capture oh, a romantic yeah. idea, being best friends with your child captures a parental idea that all your love and resources, parents, poor no child, are paid off by the child's shared desire for closeness. That's That was a great paragraph, huh? I was like, ooh, yeah, that's tricky. <laughs> well, it's so interesting because it's like, you know, we talk about the unconditional love of a parent. But I think what this exposes is that sometimes that unconditional love is just like long-term conditional, mm, right? Like yeah. it's like, and you, I mean, there's a stereotypical mother that's always like, well, remember like all I gave you and like oh, heaps all this pressure, right? Right. Uh, all that unconditional love. It's like, oh, well, actually, if we're harboring that as like at some point you should pay that back in the future. Yeah, that hits a little close to home or it's very easy to go down that road, isn't it? Yeah. And obviously, I mean, I want to develop a relationship where I'm friends with Oliver in some sense. But our relationship, I think, is still defined first parent and child. And that, I think, has gotten a little, not confused, a little, people have different ways of looking at that these days. And I don't, we're not there yet, so I don't really know what's right or wrong. But Mm -hmm. I do think the pressure of that, like, reciprocation of yeah. like, yeah, now you have to be close with me because I did all this for you is tempting for me. And it's good to mm-hmm. think about like, ultimately, I think that pressure erodes that potential for that relationship. Yeah. Um, but I really liked this line at the end. The author says, happiness is a resource best drawn from multiple wells. And I think that's so true. Like ultimately, the way I I mean, at least in an idealized version of the world, I think that Oliver and I have a good relationship is because he sees me draw that happiness from multiple wells. And that includes him. And I hope he always knows that, that that's fundamental. But I think 
the best thing I can give him is to see for him to see me have like a balanced life where I find joy in multiple things. And I think that's going to create a healthier relationship. I see that in my own family. Like it brings me great joy that my parents enjoy other things outside of myself. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. allowed me to move to California and to have a good relationship with them still and not have all this pressure because like I'm their only thing. Mm, yeah. And which you're an only child. So which like, I'm an only child. Like that feels like it yeah. could be even more tempting. Right? And I don't, again, I don't know how much I, they've thought about this. We'll have to talk to them. I'm yeah. sure they'll listen to this, but I do feel from the perspective of a child, that's been a really helpful thing mm-hmm. for me to know that they love other things. Yeah. And so I hope I can give that to Oliver, but that's, it's a tempting, it's a tempting yeah. road to go. Down. I don't know. What do you think about that? piece you're probably less likely to lean toward wanting to be best friends with your kid well yeah i'm less tempted to lean that way just because it will naturally happen so (laughs) oh okay (laughs) yeah i don't really have to put a lot of effort to be best friends with oliver i I just know that's going to be the case no i mean it really starts to get to what kind of relationship what does a relationship look like and i'm not sure that we have great language for a healthy parent-child relationship in adulthood like what that because I think we all know we want something that's different than pure parental. Like at some point, you don't want to be telling them to clean their room when yeah. they're living in their own place. But what that actually looks like, I don't know that we have particular language for that. So I get how like the shift to language of friendship is really natural because it's like this is another kind of relationship that marks a different kind of intimacy. But maybe by that time, we'll come up with a new word that matches that. Yeah, I mean, I get all that to say, I I mean, I get it. I was, I think I was most interested in this article in some ways kind of for the meta, like reality of even the kinds of questions and the expectations that we bring to parenting are impacted by all these other influences. Yeah. Right. I read this and I was like, oh yeah, people do now want their kids to be their best friends. Oh, that's new. Oh, that's interesting. I wasn't a parent in the 60s. I wasn't a parent in the 80s. Like But part of the point for me of reading this article was, oh, right, there are cultural, there are economic things that impact the questions I ask. So when I'm making assumptions about what my parenting should look like, like I'm not asking those outside of a stream of cultural influences, which is why I'm really excited for these kinds of conversations that you and I can have, because it becomes kind of an opportunity to to ask the questions and interrogate those a little bit. But yeah, even like that social policies can impact this. Right. So much because in other countries, universal health care, you know, more uniformed education, like they're just the articles making the yeah. argument that even those things take the pressure off parents and allow them to have time for friends. And yeah. like I do, I do get it. And I think the U.S., we prioritize a lot of other things before our own adult friendship. And it's a hard cycle to break because if all the people around you are doing that. Even if you want to. Who do you hang out with? It's like, <laughs> yeah, where do I go? Who do I hang out with? And yeah, so it'll be interesting over the years. Yeah. How we figure that out. I mean, the church, I mean, going back to our faith a little bit, the church becomes a helpful kind of almost mixing place then because part of the answer is, well, like the people you hang out with are like single people or older people in a different stage of life. But if you're living a life that's just kind of preoccupied with school like your kid's school and and those friends came because of your kids were friends with their kids yeah exactly then you're never necessarily gonna even find a chance to engage with those people yeah well i thought it was a great article thanks yeah interesting so we'll link again to it down in the show notes so you can read it for yourself we've kind of cherry picked a few of our favorite paragraphs but there's plenty in there to think about 
in several different areas. Let's move on to our final segment, what we're calling Key Plays. Matt is very unconvinced. He thinks no one will understand the segment because we have no other sports metaphors or segments in this podcast. But I believe in you, faithful listeners, that you know what key plays means. This feels like it goes back to, did we do like the, the most valuable? Well, yeah, that, like that award awards? show went really off the rails. So I'm like, okay, key plays is also Rachel's idea. Are we actually going to deliver on the premise? We don't have any other, we don't have much sports going on here as sort of uh, the guiding metaphor, but okay, key plays. Shall I explain what key plays is? And you can correct me if I don't have it right. I mean, I just think of it as, major milestones for Oliver, like the key moments of his life in the game. This is Oliver's key plays. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's not our key plays, it's parenting. Right. So no. just to update and talk about any like major moments. All right, let's, di- let's dive into it. There is a major moment to announce. There is. Oliver <laughs> is walking. He is walking. You are now comfortable officially saying that. Yeah. He was just taking steps for a while, but we've officially moved into walking he still does a, little, a lot of scooting. I had a moment of panic about a week ago when he started walking that we had zero videos of him doing his scoot, which he's done for months. And I was like, this, we've lost it. He's never going to scoot again. And we have no video of it. And I had a moment of panic, but we've captured it on video. I think my mom on. had lots of video of it too. Oh, good. There were other resources, but. Well, yeah, he is now walking, still doing a mix, but can definitely get through the house on his two legs. Yeah, with lots of falling. With lots of falling. He's but definitely get, drunken sailor mode. But he'll get right back up. The other day, he was kind of peg leg pirate mode, where he's dragging his left leg. It was a little weird. He's just kind of stuck out straight legs. We're like, what but, are you doing? But for developmental pe- people who might be concerned about that, don't worry. He went back to using his leg. Yeah. It was just a weird little hitch in his giddy up. It's definitely disorienting when you're in a room and all of a sudden he turns the corner and he's walking, turning the corner. You're like, yes whoa, you're just standing up and here you are. But super fun. I mean, he's not quite at the point where he's like running away from us yet. So we're in the kind of golden phase, I think, of the walking being super cute. Yeah. And he kind of just did it. I was sitting picking cilantro for dinner and I look over and I'm like, you're in the middle of the room and you're standing up. That means you didn't hold on to something. You just stood up and now you're walking. And I FaceTime Matt, I called him, I'm like, he's walking. <laughs> it was a pretty surreal moment. Yeah. Key play, Oliver. Key play. Clutch, clutch key play. An offensive against the parents. Oh wow. Okay. Let's not let's not abuse abuse the metaphor. Anyway, that's <laughs> uh, your update. Yeah, it's exciting. It's a big deal. Uh it's not yet overwhelming, but it will be. It will be, for sure. So. <laughs> What was that for ominous? <laughs> what a note to end on. Woo-woo. Congratulations, Oliver. Well done on your walking. Well, next time we get on the air, we will have been to Yosemite, and Oliver will have spent his first night away from us. He's going to be hanging out with the grandparents while we're in Yosemite. So we'll have to do a little update at least on that. A little update. Yeah, maybe in the open we can talk about that or weep about it or whatever we end up doing. We'll find out. It probably won't be us weeping. <laughs> <laughs> Well, folks, thanks as always for listening. We always invite you to send us mail. And now that we're having conversations about things, I think we can say join the conversation. Sure. Email us at timstake at gmail.com. Check out the article. Let us know what you think. Tell us if our takes are wrong or even better. Tell us if they're right. Okay. Yep. Till next time. I'm Matt. I'm Rachel. That 
you're tasting.